roses turn to scat It's better because of you and that's a fact We're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I Hello and welcome back to You Understand When You're Younger I am Jordan And I'm Brian And we are a father and son duo who like scouring the corners of the internet for information and sharing it with each other. This week, we didn't have to scour so far because all we had to do was flip on Netflix. That's right. This (laughs) week, we are making do on one of our many promises that we make each episode, uh, which we have a very low hit rate on. But last week, we said we were going to cover The Crown Season 5 and... Here we are, covering Here the we are. season five. Yes. Magical. Magical. But before we get into an in-depth discussion of characters and the stories and what you remember from them, um, I think that we are supposed to do a weekly question. I've got one for you. Okay. All right. So if you could remove one color from the world, what color would that be and why? We're really on the colors. We just did yeah, one yeah. on the eating I, crayon I, colors. <laughs> we, we did. But this one was interesting to me as well. So if, if I could remove a, a color from the world, that sounds like actually a sad task. There's not any color that I wish didn't exist, even the ones I don't like. Because if you get rid of a color that you don't like, then the next color and the line becomes the color that you don't like, you know? Maybe. I don't know. When I give you my answer, we'll see. I think, I mean, are we doing hyper-specific shades or are we doing general colors? I'm giving you a very specific color. Okay. Well, I'll just, I'm going to think of it more as an abstract thought concentration. Of, Fair enough. Of the, the Roy G. Biv spectrum. Okay. I would get rid of... Well, it's easy to go for indigo or violet because they're not really real or distinguishable. But I'm going to say orange because orange is a little... It's an in-betweener. Okay. Like on a traffic light, if they had a red, an orange, and a yellow light that instead of a red, a yellow, and a green, that could be frustrating for some people because orange and yellow can overlap quite a bit yellow can encompass most of the feelings of orange not all but some i don't know indigo maybe orange orange is useful pumpkins are orange leaves are orange if all of the leaves are red and yellow and not orange and maybe i'll go with indigo i mean you have orange juice as well right orange is Indigo is that is there any is there anything that actually is indigo in real life or did they just make it up so that they could call it Roy G Biv? I I think that there's stuff that is kind of iffy as in, in, as indigo goes. I can't think of anything that's specifically indigo. Um, you know, like maybe a color of a shirt or something like that, or or like a paint that you put on your wall, but something. I'm getting natural. Yeah, indigo can go. It's it's not useful. I do like um I do like orange. It's far more functional. Orange traffic cones. I take back my original answer. I will get rid of indigo. All right. That sounds good. How about you, Dad? 
All right, so my color is interesting in that the name, which I'll give you in just a second here, is disgusting. And depending on where you live, the color is seen as two different, very different things. So so the color itself is puce. So just the name puce, just write that in itself says, okay, we need to get rid of it. Any color that's named puce needs to go. So my question to you, Jordan, is number one, do you know what color puce is? And depending on what your response is, I'll let you know whether you are English or American. My guess is that puce is a brownish green. So that means you're American. So a lot of folks who hear the word puce think of greenish, yellowish, brownish type color. It's actually more of a reddish, maroonish uh, uh, brown uh, rather than green. Um, and that's what the actual color is. Uh, when I was reading about puce itself, because when I saw this question, I knew, knew that puce was absolutely the answer for me just because the name is just so disgusting. But when I was reading about it, I found out that uh, in America, we think it's more of a brownish green color, but in, in fact, the English have it right in that it's more of a maroonish brownish color. Um, so it has nothing to do with green. Do you think that that do British people use the word puke or do they only use the word vomit? I that's a good question, Jordan. I did as I was investigating the, the color puce, I did not look up vomit or puke, but I could have because. To me, puce sounds like a um, portmanteau of puke and refuse. Yes, so it I, does. I took one as green and the other's brown. So I just which, split the difference. Which I think a lot of Americans do, even though I would venture that there's a good percentage of Americans, you know, 30, 40%, they have no idea what a portmanteau is. Uh, especially based on, uh, you know, our elections. We don't know what the hell's going on anywhere. So um, portmanteau, uh, you know, people don't know what that is. But I think that you're right. When people hear the word puce, they think of the word puke, which is also exactly why I'm like, get rid of this color, because it's, it's this the sound of it is disgusting. It's misleading at the very least if you're an American. But if Absolutely. English people don't use the word puke, if they just specifically refer to it as vomit or if they have their own word for it, then they're probably not doing that word association. But I would agree with you. I'll have to find an Englishman and ask. Good luck. There's maybe one in New York, at least according to Sting. Well, there are plenty of Bostonians in Boston, and they are want to be british people so maybe i can ask them good luck good weekly question dad yeah and uh and when we come back from this little do 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 we'll be talking about <laughs> the crown season five okay so our feature story the Crown, season five. Yes. I think that we have lots to cover. We probably we won't hit everything, but I think that we should start with casting because okay. we jumped you know, from season four to season five. They've been do doing a every two seasons rule, which meant that everybody kind of got recast. Right. And so I just wanted to walk through who they cast as each and whether or not you felt like it was a good fit. 
Yeah, that sounds to, great. I like to, that approach. To begin with. So, I mean, we obviously have to start with Queen Elizabeth II, yes. who was played by Imelda uh, Staunton. Imelda Staunton. Imelda Staunton, yes. Imelda Staunton. Yes. What did you think about Imelda's performance as Queen Elizabeth II? All right, is so there, before... Is there somebody you wish would have done it better? So before I answer what I thought of her performance, I need to give you my bias of Imelda Staunton. I also, into... have, I also have an Imelda Staunton bias that I was going to share. All right, well, it'll be interesting to see if it's the same bias or yes. not. So Imelda Staunton was a very prominent character in the Harry Potter films. Yes! Yes, yes the, we have the same bias. Yes. We've got the and, same bias. It's impossible for me to not see her as that bitch from the Ministry of Magic. <laughs> God, <laughs> and I, I fucking hated her so bad that yes. now I was upset when she got cast. That yes. is exactly what I was going to say, Dad. This must oh be gosh. something that a lot of people were struggling with. Oh, my God. That was a terrible career move for her. She probably thought that that was the biggest role of her life when she landed that Harry Potter thing. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure she did. I mean, obviously, the Harry Potter films were just absolutely huge. And the role that she had was one of oh those. Oh, my God. Was, she was, was so annoying. Well, I mean, the whole idea behind it was that she was going to be someone that you that you hated and that everybody knew that you were going to hate her. And so for her playing that role was a situation where she knew she was good. And by the way, she played Dolores Umbridge is what the name of her character was. And so when I was reading the books, I just had this whole vision of this just horrible person. And then she pulled it off so well. That was such great casting in my mind in terms of the Harry Potter. She was such an evil, as you termed it, bitch, that I just was like, wow, I hate her. I hate her. And every movie that I've ever seen her in since, I'm like, this woman is still Dolores Umbridge, and she's still a horrible person. I'm, so It's, I I, it's literally bias. impossible for me to see her as anything else. And yes. I don't know if it is because of her casting or because of the writing, and they chose to cast her given the way that they were going to write the queen, but I liked the queen far less this season than I did <laughs> in the first four. Sure. I found her so, far less effectual and flattering as I found her in the first four seasons. And I'm wondering if that is because of the bias that I took in with Imelda or if they were like, you know what? Queen's going to be a real piece of work this season, so let's get somebody in there who everybody already associates with a hated character. <laughs> so Imelda's got a lot of prominence in terms of uh, British acting. She's done a lot of stuff that's been very prominent. You know, things that maybe you and I don't know, but we don't, do know her from Harry Potter. I felt, I mean, if, if I look at the casting stuff, I was not excited for her to be Queen Elizabeth. I thought that that it was horrible casting. Um, but to your point, I do think that because of the, the approach that they took, and we'll get into this in a little bit later, uh, with how in that time of, of, the, of, of her reign, she was kind of an uh, up and down type of you know, popular person. I think that the casting that, from that perspective was maybe purposeful, that they went into it going, okay, we know where the queen's going to be during this period of time. And so we might as well cast someone that people already don't like because she's going to be able to pull that off. 
And I thought over over the course of the season, I actually liked her more as the queen than I thought I would. Now, I'm not saying I liked her more as the queen than other seasons, but I liked her as the queen more than I thought I would in this season. I really thought that every time I saw her, I would think of her as Dolores Umbridge. And by the end of the season, I did not. But that doesn't mean that I enjoyed the full season arc, which we'll get to. But I do think that the casting did what they expected it to do. I struggled. Every time I saw her, I got the instinct to cringe because I hate Dolores Umbridge so much. <laughs> even yes. when I even when I didn't think of Dolores Umbridge specifically, I still just looked at her and I was like, "Well, right. th- that's an unlikable person. Yes, Very absolutely. unlikable. I yep, could absolutely. could not get a I could not share a beer with that with that royal." So, so I do think that by the end of the season, there was a couple times during some of the later episodes where they made her a little more likable, but it was a challenge. And and I'd be curious to talk to somebody who maybe hasn't seen the Harry Potter movies to see what they think, to see if they thought this, this was a good casting. And if she was as unlikable as you and I think she is, I don't know anybody who hasn't at least had some type of, um, uh, exposure to it, but I would love to talk to somebody who did. Yeah, even the kids these days still like Harry Potter, so it's difficult. They, I thought it was going to be like a generational thing, you know, where it was like if you were born between these years or had a kid born between these years, you were going to become a huge Harry Potter fan, as you and Taylor did. But even right. like, um, even the next generation seems to be very obsessed with it. I, I think it's just good. It's good writing, and and it's, so so if you read the books, the writing is is well done. Right. But but the movies themselves, I th- they really hired some very phenomenal um, directors, which were be able to uh, get the best out of the actors that they had, including Imelda Staunton as Dolores Umbridge. Including Imelda Staunton. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know. I. I thought that she I thought she did a wonderful job of acting. I don't think that yes, that yes, uh, that's agreed. my critique is not that she's a bad actress. Excellent right. actress. I just found the character highly unlikable, but yes. I I can't tell you which one is the cause of that. So. Right. Then, no, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. And then w- w- my personal favorite was uh Jonathan Price as Prince Philip. Yeah, he he was really good. I thought. I he's obviously a classic uh, British actor. Yeah, I loved him in that movie I watched with Tony, the Two Popes on Netflix. He was oh um, sure. He was uh, Papa Francisco, and ah. he did a very good job in that role. And obviously, again, like you said, he's a very classic and has been around forever. Um. But I was just quite enamored by... I mean, I also liked him growing up in Pirates of the Caribbean as the father of yes, uh, he was Elizabeth. He was, yeah, he was great in that. But I really, really was impressed with him as Pope Francis and the two popes. So I was excited to see him build on this. And then just the opposite of... It was funny how the writers... um did a good job of leaning into the perspectives of the times uh, because for the first four seasons, 
Uh, maybe less in season four, but for the first three seasons, I really didn't like Prince Philip, and they wrote him to make him unlikable in most cases. Right. And every once in a while, they would flash some sympathy, but then he he softened with his old age and like kind of reconciled to the situation that he found himself in, and it was just cute to see Prince Philip kind of coming into his own and defending both the system and finding a way to live within it. Um, and I think a large part of that came from the strength of the performance of Jonathan Bryce. Yeah, he, he's an amazing actor. He was, like you said, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, which most of our listeners would have seen. But he's also had a very small part in one of my other favorite movies of all time, at Glengarry Glen Ross, which I'm not sure if you've seen that, but if you have not, Jordan, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. It is so good. But he had a very small part in that. Um, and just, you know, that. And then he was also in a movie, The Age of Innocence, which is obviously based on a book. And he was spectacular in that. So it's a Scorsese th- movie. Yeah, those are the things that when I was younger, closer to your age, that I remember him in. He was also in a crazy, crazy movie when I was uh, just getting out of, uh, out of uh, or just getting into college called the Adventures of Baron von Munchausen, which was just an insane movie, which, again, I would say if you can find it, watch it. It's bizarre, but he was great in that as well. He's just a great actor. And so for him to be as Prince Philip, like you said, it it lent itself to him being a little more sympathetic than he had been in previous seasons. Yeah. I, I mean, he w- it was interesting because uh, the master class and acting performance that he put on, like, specifically when the queen mother was yelling at queen elizabeth for going and wanting to give her speech like he was just able to like after being that sympathetic and like soft old man character for the first x number of episodes to just snap into oh and by the way i can be and am terrifying when i want to be right like yep, you will well that... not attack my family or my wife. I'm the stern man that I was in my younger years. Yep. That that scene as well as the scene when he basically was shredding Prince Charles. Yeah, in front of uh, everybody. In Wild. front of everybody without really like directly shredding him if that makes sense. You know, he was r- totally ripping on him, but he wasn't like pointed like you know, Charles blah blah blah. He just really went off. So those two scenes were phenomenal. I thought he handled those with the the perfect amount of of um, you know fire, you you could tell that this guy had been an actor before because I think that some people would have overacted those, and they would have been kind of more caricatures of what they should have been. And that that's a very British thing. I feel like uh, I mean, if you just watch any of their videos of them in the House of Parliament and how they're all like chirping each other you know yes, very different than the proceedings of the senate and the house absolutely um, but it that that's like it and they got a couple of those in that first they got the the bbc chairman fighting with the director yeah uh, and he's like sitting there just like shitting on him in front of all of their co-workers and the yep. guy's just like sitting there and taking it that's a very british thing that we, we, we definitely lost that in america there's no like battle of of wits and anger it's no. just devolves into physical confrontation almost immediately like if you're going yes. to challenge somebody in the american workplace so it's better to avoid it altogether 
you know uh, at least that's how right. we handle it here but it, it it just felt like i was watching a very british moment when the guy yes. is sitting two seats down from his son full of a room of of advisors and speaking to him without addressing him or looking at him right and just completely just wrecking him it was hilarious yeah he just eviscerated him it was crazy uh and speaking of the prince of wales that was dominic west yes uh, so i'm he's, not sure if i've seen him in anything so he is well maybe you have he was in one of my favorite uh tv series of all time the wire of course and he was. so he would <laughs> So he was one of the very main characters in The Wire through all five seasons. And he was phenomenal, phenomenal in The Wire. And when they cast him as Prince Charles, I'm like, what? I mean, he was also in a very prominent show. And I can't remember which which uh, streaming channel it was on, but it was called The Affair. So it was either on Showtime or HBO. Um, it, it was it had a huge amount of publicity uh, two or three years ago, just just prior to COVID. Uh, and and he got a lot of accolades for that. So he's a great actor. I, he just wasn't Charles to me. Uh, part of it was he didn't have the look. He had a lot of the mannerisms, and you could tell that he spent a lot of time watching Charles and making sure that he that he had the, the facial expressions and he had the and he had the all the little ticks that Charles had with you know kind of chewing his gum. Uh, excuse me, his lower lip. But he wasn't Charles uh, for for a couple reasons. One is that the look wasn't quite right. And then secondly, um, uh, part of, and we'll get into Diana in here in a second, I suppose, but he and Diana, I, I don't think they had the chemistry this year as, as they had um, in previous seasons. And it had nothing to do with the actor and actresses. It just, it didn't seem like they fit. And so while I like Dominic West as an actor, I did not like him as Prince Charles. I'd be curious to see what your thoughts were. I didn't get that. I, I, I mean, yes, he doesn't look exactly like Prince Charles in the way that the guy who was playing him looked a lot like <laughs> Prince Charles. But Imelda Staunton doesn't look like Queen Elizabeth II. No. Jonathan no. Price doesn't really look like Prince Philip. So I can't condemn Dominic West for not looking exactly yeah, like Yeah, I just they, they, I think that they pulled it off better than Dominic West did in terms of the look and that's not his fault that's just casting right yeah i yeah i don't know i i so, guess so, so I, i'm like going like to choose to disagree with you on that specific point Fair i enough. think that charles was a little bit for how much screen time he got underwritten this season and okay. that like he was the bad guy of many storylines but the lines that he had were mostly non-developmental. Like, they were just used as, like, things to make him look bad. Uh, starting, of course, with them being on that boat and him just eviscerating Diana for caring about wanting to go shopping while on vacation. Right. And then him, you know, congregating secret meetings with a second committee to undo the actions of the first committee. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know how much of that is accurate, but uh, then obviously well, the then tampon me, me. gate thing. <laughs> Which that's true because it was all published. Yeah. And then the last thing was meeting with Tony Blair when he shouldn't have. Right. And so all of those were, I don't know, like 
you were bound you're already bound to not like prince charles because he's just very temperamental yeah and that's in real life as well as the show so i i i get it but i i'm not sure that they could have put somebody else in there who would have been more convincing and i didn't feel a lack of chemistry between diana and charles myself uh not interesting not less than season four with the with the other cast um i think that their role in this was to play like a fully broken relationship sure if anything yeah i don't know I thought I thought he was okay. I didn't think that he was as good as the last guy, but I I never right. got the feeling like this isn't Charles, like the one you're describing. Yeah, I I just thought, and again, I love Dominic West as an actor. I think that he's he's very good. I just didn't think it was a great fit in terms of him being Charles. But I mean, part of that could have been a bias, right? I mean, the other things I've seen him in. I could have brought some of that stuff to the equation and just like I did with Imelda yes. and just never, and just didn't really see him as that role. So again, you know, if, you know, you not really having seen the wire or seeing him in that, you know, you're bringing a different perspective. So yours is certainly valid. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for well, yeah. validating my perspective. That's big. Well, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. If you, if we had a room uh, and a table of other folks that I could talk to right here, then maybe I would have a different opinion, but right. I got to talk to you directly. I, I got to at least let you know that your opinion is semi-valid. There you go. Uh, then I guess we should talk about Elizabeth Debicki or however you say your last name, who played Diana. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that the look that she pulled off for Princess Diana was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at photos of Princess Diana and um, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, wow, holy cow. The whole, and this is not something she could have helped or anyone who cast her. But she's 6'2", for goodness sakes. Yeah. So she was the like height, the, the height did struggle. It was distracting. Yeah, yeah it was I distracting. Found it, yeah, I found it distracting. It, it wasn't that her acting was poor at all, because I think that she's a fine actress, and I thought that she did a good job. It was And this sounds stupid, but when she was sitting... And was the same size as everybody else. I thought that the the scenes went really well. Yeah. But when she's you know four or five inches taller than Charles, and she's you know foot foot taller than uh, Elizabeth, it was semi distracting to me. Um, again, it had nothing to do with her as an actress or as her casting. It's just she was six two. I mean, that's, yeah. That's that's a challenge. Generally, when they're dealing with such a massive height disparity, the director of photography figures something out, but it just right. seemed like they had their idea of of the the shot list that they wanted and they were going to fit her into it instead of, you know, modifying it based around her height. Right. Um again, obviously her job is to act, so she can't control that. And I wouldn't right. fault her for it, but I agree. It was, no. it was very distracting. The other thing, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, this is me blaming the writing team, but it would be hard for me to imagine that somebody who so loved the attention and spotlight as Diana did, um, you know, at least partly, obviously with any amount of attention like that, you also get the depression that, that we were shown 
but it right. s- seemed like they made her into kind of a Luke Skywalker character, where they were at <laughs> once asking you to root for her, and then also making her just constantly whiny. Yes. So that was my. That's the thing I was disappointed by, or one of the things uh, by the end of the season, is that I really thought that she came off as kind of a whiny character. Yeah. It m- way more than I would have expected, and you know, obviously, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, writing behind the scenes stuff that we don't know, stuff they don't know that they just had to come up with a lot of creativity, and I thought that some of the stuff they came up with was was too much, was way too whiny, more than I would have thought that, and maybe she was like that, I don't know, but um, some of that stuff was was bad. Like one of the examples for me was that last discussion that she and Charles had, the way it started, I thought it was really good. I was like, okay, you know, this is, I could see a divorced couple having this type of discussion, but to me it devolved into something that was like, really? I I mean, she came came off as just kind of a pouty, whiny person in that. And then also in in some previous uh, uh, episodes, she came off that same way. And I was kind of disappointed. You know, I thought that, that, in, again, it's not Elizabeth DeBecky's issue as an actress, but I think that's the way they chose to portray her. And, you know, having lived through when she was alive in the 90s, uh, I remember her being in the public, and I remember her being in the public and being everyone loved her. So if she was such a whiny person, I don't think people would have loved her as much. So I think that they probably portrayed that a little bit too much, but that, again, is you know some of the... Uh, creativity they have behind the scenes because they, they had to make up something. Yeah, so I, I felt like they were doing doing the thing that journalists do where they, they're trying to find an angle for the story, right. you know? Right. And, and this is something I rail into about the media all the time is sometimes things don't have to have a unique angle to be interesting. If the person is interesting, then the story is interesting. You don't right. have to make a story about the war in Ukraine, about the coffee that the soldiers drink each morning. You know that kind of thing is <laughs> just like it's it's not it's not helpful. It no. might help your career as a journalist, but it's not helpful. And no, so I, I felt like what the writing team did was like, well, if she was as um, magnanimous and and pleasant as she appeared in the public eye and was so beloved, then, uh, you know, why did all these horrible things happen in their personal life? Like, obviously, she was deeply upset, and we knew they were never in love with each other, and she took these actions of great revenge. So let's let's explore that side of her that the public didn't get to see. But what what they left out was the part that the public did get to see. Right, they, they were focused so hard on covering their angle of what what wasn't public knowledge that for a twenty three year old like me who wasn't alive when Prince Diana was alive and out and doing her thing and watching her and going like, "Wow, she's such an it girl." Like to me, I was just confused. I was like, "Why would somebody who has almost no redeeming character quality other than physical beauty, yes. like, become such a like an icon?" Like there, right. there has to be a a happier, like more joyous side to her. Maybe not in her home life, but personally, you know. And and yep. they decided not to cover that at all because I think that the writing team just went, oh well, everybody already knows this. Well, I didn't, 
And so right. it, it, it just left me feeling like they covered one aspect of her personality and not her entire essence, which is a shame because I didn't have many complaints about uh, many of the other characters within this season or with the show in general from a writing perspective, but I think that they they didn't they didn't give her her full due. Like even in the last season or the season when she and and Charles meet and he's going to take out her sister and then ends up seeing her and she's like dressed up in the weird, you know, plant stuff and running right. around in their place and hiding. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, that's like an interesting person, you know, like right. th- this is somebody like this is uh, captivating. This is probably what Charles liked about her enough to try dating her in the first place and blah, blah, blah. Sure. They just took that part off of her, you know, Yeah. but it doesn't make sense based off of, oh, Diana, Diana, you hear this about Diana, Diana did this, Diana did that, like. Even the most depressed people that you know or I know, like, still have a personality outside of their depression. Absolutely. So. Well, and, and obviously she had to have because there's no way she would have been that popular across the world. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just in the UK. Right. It was the world wanted to talk to her or see her or be with her. And there's no way that her personality was so dour 24 7, 365. And they kind of made it seem that way. And I understand that they need, they wanted to do some behind the scenes stuff, but like you said, they needed to also for the folks who didn't live through it, they needed to show why she was so popular. And they kind of hinted at that stuff a little bit, but they didn't go deep enough in that. And to me, that was the disappointing piece of it. Again, has nothing to do with the actress and has everything to do with the writing and maybe the directing. Uh, and then it, we, we're not going to touch on every single person who was cast, but uh, I did want to talk about Muhammad and Dodi Fayed, who yes. we were introduced to. Uh, what did you think of uh, of that storyline? For, for me, that was the most fun part because I knew that Diana will ultimately die in a car with Dodi Fayed. Uh, and I just know that from like just general popular knowledge, but I didn't know anything about their background or their family. Like I didn't know that Muhammad was so obsessed with the British and bought the Ritz Carlton and Harrods. Like I didn't know all that. So it was, it was, that was the most like historically tickling part of the whole thing for me. Yeah, I didn't know that stuff either, and it it's it's one of those things where when I saw it, I'm like, is that real? Did that really happen? And so I had to do a little bit of research as a as we were watching it to understand. Oh, yeah, he really did, and they really did win an Oscar, and they really were involved with with um, you know, the movies. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, we can talk a little bit more in terms of kind of how I felt that fell into the storyline, but I do think that that was an interesting piece of it. Um, I, I don't really know a lot about Dodie, even, even, you know, post, uh, him dating, uh, Diane and them dying. I didn't really look into it at all. I just knew that that's who she was dating and who right. she died with. I yeah, didn't me know too. anything really about, about him or his father. That was the extent, like, I, I just knew his name cause it's not an American name or an English name. So when people like talk about the conspiracy that the crown had, 
Diana killed, they always mention that she was in the car with her then-boyfriend, Dodi Fayed, and, like, that's just a name that sticks in my head because it's uncommon right. to me. But, uh, like you said, I didn't, I didn't know anything about who he was or why. And, like, frankly, it makes... It gives a lot of context, like, seeing that story that they told, like, why she would have fallen in with them, um, you know, whether or not she did associate with them as outsiders of the crown who desperately wanted to be approved by them. Um, and that was also, we can move on, because those were the last two people I wanted to talk about, but we can jump into plot stuff now. One thing that I thought that they executed poorly was being really on the nose with the her being attracted to Pakistani people, I guess. Yeah, that was be- crazy. I, I think that the reach that they were making was Pakistani people were hated by the general British population for being minority immigrants, and she associated with their cause because she was also not being accepted by the British crown. Like, is that, yeah. was that what they were trying to say? Cause they didn't do it well. No, I thought they did it poorly. It seemed, to, to be honest with you, I thought, saw it more as like a white saviors syndrome type situation. And I was like, this is kind of uh, an odd approach to handling this. Uh, and like you said, it was too, too much on the nose and I was like, really? I mean, like I, when the when the reporter who tricked her into the BBC interview goes, well, I can get her to interview with me because she's obsessed with the fact that I'm Pakistani. I was like, did that yeah. sentence need to come out of your mouth? Like the reason that right. she's going to interview with you is because you're tricking her into believing that she's being spied on by the news and by the government. Exactly. You're, you're exactly right. And that's one of those things where as I, as the season went on, there are certain aspects of this. I'm like, who wrote this? I'm like, was this, you know, did I write this? I mean, someone who, who's right. never written anything before. I mean, I thought it was kind of, it just didn't. Uh, that's what weak. I saw. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what I saw a lot more with this season was little like one-off things that they tried to use to fill screen time, that they failed to tie into the larger scheme of things. Well, um, you know, in, in spinning this a little bit and, and not going down that same path, but Martin Bashir himself, they let him off the hook in this in this uh, series. I mean, that guy's a, a jerk. I mean, if yeah. you do any any research in terms of, like, who he really was, I mean, he, he made it big and was on Nightline and did a bunch of big stuff, and then he got busted just a couple of years ago for some other things. That guy was a douche. He literally, like, sucked her in. Uh, and they kind of hinted at it that he sucked her in and, and tricked her and stuff, but he really did and faked her out. And, and which that's the other thing. It made her seem like she was an idiot, her and her and her brother. Like, Oh, wow. We're stupid. We don't really understand anything. Oh, wow. You're, you know, you know, unfrozen caveman lawyer type stuff. And, and I was like, no, no one's going to fall for that that way. So I thought that they did a poor job of, of showing that. But I also thought that that storyline uh, you know, while some of that was true, I think they really overplayed their hand there. And, um, yeah, I I agree. I didn't, it, it was interesting. But even there, like, I was surprised that that guy did not go get locked up for, like, wire fraud or, I mean, I don't know what the British equivalent is, but forging any kind of bank yeah. statement 
has to be like so many levels of. So that is what he got busted for a couple of years ago. That exactly is what he got busted for, for faking all that kind of stuff. So is in 2020 or 2021, he got busted for that exact thing. Someone finally decided to go after him for that. And he ended up getting uh, arrested for that. Did he get sentenced? I, uh, that's a good question. I, I don't remember if he actually ended up in jail, but he lost, you know, his jobs and things of that nature, but they did convict him, I guess, if you will, of being, uh, you know, tr- tricking folks for that kind of stuff, uh, because they realized that that was just like, wow, he forged all of these documents yeah. and that piece of it, to my understanding, you know, from reading again, you know, uh, the internet can tell you anything, but from reading what I read, that stuff, he really did do that. And that's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg of stuff that he did uh, to, to to get Diana involved with this, but then other folks. He also did the the big interview, which I'm sure you don't remember, with with Michael Jackson about Neverland Ranch and that, that. So he did, those are the two big things that he did. And for both of those, he was kind of a scumbag to get himself engaged with those. And obviously those are both important narratives that probably did need to get shared, but journalistic integrity has to supersede yes. the need for news. Otherwise, news can't right. be trusted. So Correct. I don't like when I see things like that, and it just reminds me again of my bias against the media, but that's all right. <laughs> well, I guess they portrayed that well. Yes, they leaned really heavily into what I already believe. So. Um, so we can just run through the the episodes since those are the things that that popped out to me, and then we can um, then we can wrap up our our discussion on it. But sure, they started off with uh, the Britannia, right. and comparing uh, Queen Elizabeth to Queen Victoria because her rule was reaching the mighty forty years, yes. and uh, and Charles was discontent. Do you remember that being a thing? Do you remember people going like, well, uh, it's been 40 years now. Is she going to step down? Like, was that a discussion point in the 90s? So, you know, I have to say, I'm sure it probably was in Britain. In the U.S. at that time in 91, you know, I was, you know, younger than you. And so I wasn't really super focused on the Royals. I do kind of vaguely remember that people were a little disappointed with, with, with Queen Elizabeth. I, I don't remember the details of why, specifically whether it was 40 years or, or various different things. I do know that, you know, in Britain, you know, Margaret Thatcher was, of course, the prime minister for a period of years, and they really struggled with a lot of the economy stuff. And then John Major took over, and he actually kind of calmed the waters on things. But I don't really remember exactly the specifics on on – Elizabeth and, and and Prince Charles. I do remember him kind of popping up a little bit in popularity in like, you know, the 92, 93 ish area. But I, I couldn't, if you would have asked me before this season, why I couldn't have told you. Yeah. And then uh, the, the next episode was about um, the, the child who dies of cancer and, Right. And Philip goes, I thought there was such a sweet scene there between the queen and Prince Philip where uh, he's expressing his dismay at the death of the child and the fact that uh, cancer is inexplicable. You know, it's not because of something that we do to ourselves, because if you believe that, then what could this five-year-old have done? 
And, right. and she goes, well, perhaps your godson needs some cheering up. And this was like a Jonathan Price, like mastery moment. He like sheds a tear and looks at her and she goes, what? And he goes, just thinking about how you make me a better person every day. And I was like, wow, that was like so wonderfully executed. And like, I hope that moment happened. I doubt it did in real life, but whoever wrote that did a good job. Cause again, like he's such a stoic man at times and to have him let that bit of emotion loose and also just like express, Hey, we're not, we're at a different point in our marriage than we were last season was very, very cool. So I agree that that part of the, the episode was good. I really didn't, enjoy this episode that much to be honest with you um and it had nothing to do with the acting it just had more with like okay how does this fit into the overall storyline of what's happening and i think that's part of what my expectation was going into season five and you know we might as well address it right here heading into season five my full expectation was that they would cover a lot of what the issues were between charles and diana and at some point in time, in fact, your mom and I had a bet as to when Diana was going to get into the car crash. I said it was going to be, you know, the earliest was going to be was going to be the last episode. Your mom's like, no, by season, by episode six, she was going to be gone. I'm like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. But overall, I, I I thought this was kind of a weird one-off episode. Again, the acting was good. I just was trying to figure out how this fit into the overall storyline. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing that I thought was strange was they made a big deal to show how the the guy who wrote the book with Diana's help, but not with her name, uh, how his house was broken into. And then then that plot point just died. His house was broken into, but he was still able to publish the book without consequence and everything was okay for him. So I, I guess I didn't, like, that seemed like it was a big like leading up to a big thing that was about to happen. Like we were about to discover some big dirty secret. And then there was just nothing. It just skipped past it. And they they gave screen time to that. I was like, huh? And then the other thing was they really wanted to write in this like godson's wife into the season. Right because I guess maybe it was scandalous at the time, but like you said, they they took either too long to try and fit it in, or I don't know what they were doing. I think it was just meant to be like a Philip side quest, but you're right. It wasn't, it, it didn't really congeal with the season as a whole. I'll agree with that. But they, they had a lot more of that because even yes, we can talk about the next episode they decided to go all the way back to the birth of Muhammad Al-Fayed, Dodi's father. Right. And, like, show him (laughs) catching sight of the abdicated king. And, like, they did do a good job, I think, of making that appear like it was relevant. Like, I was glad to have that knowledge of why he was so obsessed with Britain. But it's certainly removed from the royal family, you know? Like, it was definitely more focused on just his personal journey and less on whether or not the the royals cared about them at all, which clearly they didn't. So if this is meant to be about the crown and the woman won't even sit next to him at the horse race when he's paid for the sponsored spot, then what's the point, you know? 
Right, and, and, and I agree with you that that was kind of a weird one-off. The only thing that tied things together there, I think, is, you know, obviously that's when Mohammed met Diana for the first time. But beyond that, I mean, it, it seemed like to me like they could have taken episode two and episode three and mushed them together and had both of those storylines be one episode and then throw in some other stuff around the crown. So they could have talked about, um, you know, the uh, carriage driving that Philip was doing. They could have talked a little bit about Mohammed and how he met Diana, but then they could have thrown in, thrown in a little bit of other things around uh, Elizabeth at that time. So it seemed like they went two episodes in a row that, that were kind of, I mean, frankly, they didn't have Elizabeth in either of those very much at all. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, she probably had 10 minutes of screen time between the two of them, which I understand that it's not all about Elizabeth, but the, the show is called the crown and she wears the crown. So I would think that she would have a prominent role in most episodes. Or at least members of the royal family, because speaking about right. things being smushed together, the next episode was just a series of cameos between yeah. the, uh, Princess yeah. Margaret and Princess yep. Anne and the fateful Prince Andrew, of course. <laughs> but yes. I, w- I was like, they couldn't have taken some of the carriage driving stuff and devoted a little bit more of that to talking about what was going on in the lives of Princess Margaret, Princess Andrew, and Princess Anne. Because yes. they, they were characters in the previous seasons. Like Princess Margaret yes. specifically was quite a Few. character. Yes, absolutely. And Andrew, they've rightfully decided to give as little screen time as possible, except to embarrass him, which I don't really have much of an issue with. But nope. um, the Princess Anne thing—I mean, they could have done more there too. So it's just—it was weird how how they were like, "Well, these people now that they are adults or grandparents, like, not important." I don't yeah, know. that was kind of, was that strange. was kind of odd, and. and you know, like you said, that was kind of a series of cameos. That was one of the episodes that, as we were watching, I'm like, okay, this is, again, it was like three episodes in a row. I was like, I'm a little, like, what is yeah. going on with it, with this season? It was, so it was very disjointed. And yeah. then, um, and then things explode. Tampan, right. t- tampon gate is, uh, <laughs> is episode so that, five. So that part of it, I do remember at some level, I don't remember the specifics about it, but I do remember there being a huge issue with Charles and Diana and uh, Camilla. I I don't, you know, once I saw it, then it's like, oh yeah, that's what it was about. But if you'd have asked me again before the season, if I remembered what was going on, I wouldn't have been able to tell you details, but I absolutely knew that there was things going on and that Charles had done whatever he could do to spin things to make himself look good. And then you had tampon gate happen. Yeah, that, that was funny. A good little unraveling for him. Uh, but the public, I mean, seemed, I mean, they already hated him. So it's like, how much lower can the guy go? And he's trying to spin things to be better, but it just seemed like people didn't care. And then they like threw in like, oh well, here's what he did to respond to it. He started this trust to to be helpful, and he's got a lot of big ideas. And then they were like, well, he never implemented any of them. But um, which is yeah, like, that was that was crazy. So they they do a, a reference to trust a little bit later in the season, 
but it seemed like they just kind of threw that in as a like a, a nugget and it seemed like it again it was disjointed it didn't really fit that well um it it, it seemed like they should have to me i would have rather them spent time on the prince's trust and things of that nature more so than the cameo episode and the the episode all about Muhammad. Um, and again, those were somewhat interesting, but if the, in, in the thought of the full season, I would rather have seen more about who Prince Charles really is uh, because, because again, now he's the guy wearing the crown. So to me, that, that, was, that was where I would have preferred they spent time. Yes, I agree. And then uh, this was an... I liked the next episode because I am obsessed with Russian history, or at least I want to be. Um, <laughs> okay. It was the one about the Ipatiev house. Yes. Uh, and the Romanov family who were yes. famously killed brutally uh, by the Bolsheviks during the October Revolution. Yes. And... Um, and then I, the fun part was I did not know that the first president after the fall after Gorbachev and the fall of the USSR was uh, the guy who had the station there and would have helped given that order. Like that's yeah, that just shows you like how short lived Russian history is that that could even be the case. Yeah, it's crazy. So Yeltsin. You know, they they, you know, did a good job of, you know, showing that he was basically a drunk. You remember that, that guy? From... Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Remember Yeltsin. And that was here in the U.S. It was, oh, Yeltsin's a drunk and he's drunk all the time. And that's all he cares about is drinking vodka. I mean, that was a big deal. Uh, so I absolutely remember Boris Yeltsin. Yes. And I didn't um... remember. I didn't remember that he was the first democratically elected president of russia but i remember him being the president of, of russia and and all the jokes i mean the, you know like all the late night tv shows all had jokes about him being just a, a just knocked down flat out drunk i was wondering was there like was there a president after like how many presidents were there before putin decided to basically handle the whole thing himself was that so, it? Was it just Yeltsin no, and then Putin? No, there. I think there's somebody in between, uh, between him, and Yeltsin and Putin. I'm trying to remember who, because you had you had Gorbachev and Brezhnev and all those guys that were in the 70s and 80s. That was the USSR, you, though, different. Right, and then you had, um, you know, Yeltsin. I'm I'm trying to remember. I I can't remember off the top of my head, who who the um, who the folks were, uh, but it, it could have been Putin. Um, right after, but I mean, it was very close because right, Putin took over in the late nineties. Yep, looks uh, like yeah, Yeltsin, nineteen ninety one to nineteen ninety nine, and Putin has been in there ever since. <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah, he's uh, yeah, Yeltsin was uh, like I said, they portrayed him exactly the way anybody, you know, remembered him as just being just a guy who was more about more about partying and drinking, and you know, kind of surprised that he was the head of uh, head of Russia at that point. Isn't that interesting that Russia has had two leaders? Oh, yeah, for the last 50 years, 40 years. It's yeah. crazy. Or just as a country, because well, right, before that, right. they were the USSR. Right. So, well, I mean, going back to the Romanov family, so your mother and I, you know, we obviously spent time in St. Petersburg, 
And so one of the things that we did do is we went into all the palaces that existed and, uh, you know, the stuff that Tsar Nicholas and, and uh, Alexandra, where they lived, and they took us down to spots that they, you know, thought that potentially they could have been, you know, captured in. And we weren't in the Ekaterinburg area, but we were very close to that. So it was interesting to to see that portrayed here because we heard about all of that history when we were out there. Um, and it is very interesting. They They did make a TV show about it, but it's more of a uh, kind of a comedy, a black comedy, more than than the Crown is um, uh, about that time in Russia, about the uh, the Romanovs. Sure. Well, I thought it was interesting with the DNA thing, just to remember how inbred every royal family is. Oh, geez, yes, holy it's kind cow! Of, it's kind of fun, and how they just like have them talking about it, like, oh, since my cousin is it was married to your cousin you should give your blood so that they can identify your cousins. I was just was like, that was, and she like just delivered that. Like, it's not weird that they were both related to each other. Kind of like, you know, kind of. yeah, for I, sure they were. it's just, it's just, it's so, I don't know. I don't know. Cre- creepy comes to noble, mind. noble blood is an interesting concept. Very Absolutely. interesting concept. Absolutely. Uh, the next episode was the one where they showed that Diana did care about her kids, even though she was dumb and could get tricked by the BBC. And then her son is like just deeply concerned about her, which I thought was also an interesting thing for them to show. Um, well, well, your mom and I were talking about that because our memory of Diana and Prince William was that they were very close. And it seemed to me like this episode and the whole season made it seem like William was kind of keeping Diana at arm's length. But from our memory, and again, our memory could be skewed, is that they were very close and uh, specifically Diana and William had this tight bond. And that was not shown in the, in this season. And the timing that they're having this in, it's not like that suddenly can, hey, suddenly they had this close bond because... We're talking 1997 here, which is the year that she dies. So to me, I, I don't know if this was, again, uh, creative licensing on their part or if this was more factual. But what's out there, and if you read about Diane and William, it's everything is about them that they were, like, I don't want to say joined at the hip, but they were very, very close, and that William was not a fan of his father versus this made it seem like maybe he wasn't a fan of his father, but it seemed like he felt like his mom was kind of a dumb blonde. And didn't yeah, really want to that, that was the part that I thought was interesting. She was like, I love you. And like, since we're so close, I'm going to tell you, like, your dad's been cheating on me for years, but I finally found a boyfriend. And he's like, oh, mom, can you not talk about this? Like, which again, maybe yeah. he did do. But my guess is if that child has witnessed what his dad has done to his mom, then he would probably be like, oh, thank God you're not just sitting alone in Kensington Palace again, you know? Right. Like, and, right. and it was an interesting transformation because at the beginning on the yacht when he's like, nobody wants to go shopping. And then William's like, I want to go shopping to defend her. Like, then you're like, oh, yeah, they're close. And then the rest of the time they just dismantled that notion. I thought it was so right. strange. Yep, but again... I agree with you. I think that went to more to the writing of Diana as a whiny lame person. Like she can't even 
put on a smiling face for her own child, which I doubt I doubt was true. Like I'm guessing that her moments with William and with Harry were probably like bright spots of her day every day for a long time, but they right. don't show that. That was the part that I was like, okay, there's just there's no shot that she is always in this bad of a mood, even if she is deeply depressed. Exactly. Because you, you can't imagine that she would have a close relationship with her two sons if she was in that kind of a mood all the time. Because yeah. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't want to spend time with her. Or it would be the way that they portrayed it where he, they would be like, okay, I'm worried about you, but only in the sense that I feel like I have to take care of you, which I'm guessing was not the nature of their relationship. But again, maybe I'm wrong. Right. I, I think that they had to have some some type of twist on things just to, I mean, frankly, it Their seems angle. like this was, yeah, this was probably an episode or two too long for the season based on what they covered. Now, I also think that it probably wasn't too long and that I, I mean, we'll talk about this in another episode or two, but I do not like how they stretched out this season the way they did. Yeah. Yep. So then, uh, then we were, we were on the Guy Fox night one would be yes. the next one that one so, felt so, like a pretty worthless episode to me it, it did but the thing that was interesting to me is i didn't really know the history of guy fox i mean i of course have seen the guy fox oh, yeah. mask i did know based that. on on his on you know anonymous and all that kind of stuff so i didn't really know the history not that they went deep into the history but it it led me to to actually do the research on yeah the did you did you read the wikipedia on it isn't it interesting it's very interesting, and yes, I did. Um, so, so it was did cool. you never watch V for Vendetta then, Dad? No, I've never watched V for Vendetta. That's I've heard interesting. It's a great, I've heard it's a great movie. It's well done, but I've never watched it. It it also doesn't exactly tell you the the details of the actual Guy Fox day, but it is more detailed than this. And I I after I watched V Vendetta, that's when I went and read about Guy Fox Day because I was like, huh. So I've known about it for a couple of years. But you should watch that. That's something I would put on the list. It's specifically kind of a dad movie because there there's like <laughs> there's some action to it. The plot perfect. is good but not great. Just the it's kind of movie perfect. you like. <laughs> Sounds like a great movie, yeah. Yeah. So I will definitely check it out. But that to me, I agree with you that you know you could see if that piece of it wasn't interesting to you, where if you already knew that stuff, you're like, okay, okay, whatever. Because it was it to me, it was like a setup episode, right? Like, hey, we're setting this up to do this, and I mean, I don't know, and, and there probably was some sense of. Okay, we're gonna do this on Guy Fox night. We're gonna do this on the the birthday of Prince Charles, and we're gonna do this on the 40th 48th wedding anniversary of of the Queen and Prince Philip. I'm sure there was some intention behind that, but they made those seem like like the biggest plot points of the of the, of that episode. Yeah, which which I was like, okay, sure. There's there's so much more to this you could be covering. Yeah. And then, uh, and then episode nine, they finally get the divorce that they've both kind of been wanting, and that's uh, that's when they have that frank discussion that you were discussing, or that you mentioned right. earlier, that started off strong and then kind of just turned into. I mean, but 
Uh, I mean, may- maybe that's realistic. And then if you were getting divorced from somebody, yeah, if you hate each other that much and it, it's been like that for 11 years, then maybe you just don't know how to act any different, right? Right. I don't think either I, of them really knew how to play adult in that relationship, not just based off of what I've seen, but based off of the public record, right? True. So true. I can see I, I, that happening, but I don't know. The thing that I thought was interesting of the whole episode, although they over they did too much of this, was the okay, this is couple thirty one. So so their divorce was handled the same way that anyone else's divorce was would be handled. I thought that they spent too much time like developing that, meaning like, okay, this is, you know, you know, case number three. 2046 20 you know, yeah when they kept having those people share yeah. their issues they, they, I, so, they could have done it once or twice maybe yeah in that, I, you know but uh, so I, I got the intent of what they were saying there like divorce rates have risen dramatically worldwide but specifically in britain and at this time like the queen was living in another world if she believed that people could exist without getting divorced because that's just frankly not, that's not how things were. But uh, a news story or like you said, one demonstration of that or like a long line outside of the divorcees court would have given the same message instead of them like having those like actors talk about how he's like a trucker in England is like gone four nights a week because he doesn't want his kids to be poor or whatever. It's like he's just like okay, I, I'm I'm invested in your story as a regular English person, but I don't know what it has to do with this show. Exactly. So if that was a you know if it wasn't the Crown, that would have been you know interesting. But because of the show that it was, it's like. Okay. Yeah. Where um, was where that... was Princess Margaret? Where was Princess Anne? Like I was just confused. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and then to to cap it off, then they got Tony Blair in there, who's obviously was a also um, a very big name, still is in uh, UK yes. politics. Absolutely. So I had heard of him. As I, I've n- I had never heard of John Major, but I'd heard of oh really T- Tony Blair, and obviously I knew Margaret, who Margaret Thatcher was. Um, sure, but no, yeah, n- it, John Major never came up in my. That that was a that was again just another example of where they were like lending a lot of credence because the people who wrote the show were alive, and your age or a little bit older during that time. And so right. they're like, oh, well, everybody already knows who these characters are. And they'll go, aha, interesting. But we're not all British and we're not all <laughs> we're not all older than 35. Right. So, yes, I definitely remember John Major. And, of course, I remember Tony Blair because, you know, he was around for 10 years. Right. Uh, basically, you, for the first nine ish years of your life, he was the right. the prime minister. And like you said, he still has. Uh, you know, some play in, in British politics. Um, yeah, um, Tony Major, you know, the, the way they portrayed him in the in the show was, as I remember him, that he was a, a guy who was very level-headed and he wasn't going to be someone who's going to jump into things uh, without having, you know, some very solid reasons to do that. So, like, even, even back in, you know, 91, 92, when we had Desert Storm, you know, obviously... 
you the UK is is you know like quote unquote our number one ally or our you know we have this special friendship as the people term it. But he wasn't jumping in right away unless he thought through things. So he he had to have some discussions with uh, G.W. Bush and and make sure that he knew what was going on before you know he publicly put everything behind that. So he was one of those folks who I think gets a bit underplayed in terms of the type of role that he played in British politics. And I think that they did a good job of, of kind of showing his even handedness and his level headedness on the show. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did as a, as a politician. Nobody likes centrists move on. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. But yeah, they, I mean that, that basically wraps up everything that I felt we needed to talk about. Obviously, Exciting things coming. Diana's gonna die. Everybody's gonna blame the crown. That's all next season. So, so and that's interesting about that, Jordan, is that like we're in 1997 in in the series. We're in 1997. Correct. And, and so the her her meeting Doty and dating Doty and dying is gonna have to happen. I mean, unless they just really stretch it out, they're gonna stretch it out. I mean. We're, we're the point we're at in like real life by the end of that of the last season yeah we're like f- is, four months away yeah it's like you know the, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they they're they're going to juice it for all it's worth which which i i, I get and i also think is like you know what guys i understand that's a big thing obviously it's huge but there's but th- this this just goes back to my point. I think they have decided and identified either by looking at demographics data or biased by their own personal experience in the writers room. They f- just are viewing like everything has been building up to this moment with Diana. Like but that's not that's not how I perceive the show as someone who is not like familiar with the British Crown or been alive that long. Like, this event happened, and it's not as significant to me as some of the other stuff that we've already seen happen. And right. I just think that they've kind of lost the thread a little bit on the crown aspect of the crown. Yes. And they're now just into pop culture references, which is yep. a mistake. It's a mistake. I, 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 totally, I totally agree with you, and I, I, that's why I'm hoping. I mean, you, you obviously can't rush through that story. But I'm hoping that by episode two of next season, like the first episode will be them meeting and dating, and episode two is her dying. And from no. there, I I think you're right. That's not what's going to happen. But that's what I would like to have happen. In fact, I would have liked it to have happened this season. But um, but you know, two se- two episodes in, and then kind of going into you know, here's what's here's what the crown is about, because I think they've kind of lost their way in this season. And next season's supposed to be the last season so if they're going to really draw that out and have it be six or seven episodes in ah, that's that's frustrating yeah i think they're that's that is what they'll do and then they'll get the crown's response to it and then they will do like a one or two episode thing about the mark of the new millennia and getting the bridge up across the river in london and then that'll be it wow that'll be that's my guess That'll be sad because where they went this season, you know, where the queen was kind of 
you know, everyone was like kind of down on her to where she was from basically the year 2000 until she died. She's like super hyper popular for the last 22 years. Yeah. And for, for I was them a fan. not, yeah, for them not to cover any of that really in the final season is that that's, that's poorly done. Well, they haven't done it yet, so don't condemn them. But no, I, you're that's right. Just they my guess. But, but it's, I mean, one of the things in my mind that they would, I, I think they could have compressed a few of the episodes and had them be kind of, uh, you know, mushed together like we were talking about, and maybe had had Diana, you know, die the last episode of of this season and start next season with kind of the results of that. And they, what they should have ended next season in the final season with, in my mind is 2012 when um when England hosts the Olympics and Queen Elizabeth <laughs> jumps out of the the uh the helicopter with with yeah. with uh with uh Daniel Craig you know that was the height the height of her popularity not that it failed after the last 10 years but she was literally at the apex at that point and if they can't end the series with that then I think they're making a mistake I hope they do that dad I I hope they do. That that would be a very fun end to see her like hanging out with Daniel Craig in a helicopter and then jumping out yeah, and then, and be then everybody cheering and then the closing curtain on that. I hope they do yes. do that, but I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. Always a critic, right? I, I, at least I find <laughs> myself always a critic. So maybe I should get them more credit. Whenever we end up reviewing things, it tends to be things that I enjoyed in the moment that then I just ripped to shreds on this podcast. So <laughs> I'll say this. This was better than Saturday Night Fever. This season of The Crown was better than Saturday Night Fever. But well, it that's was, a low bar. That's yeah, a low bar, Jordan. It was, it was my least favorite season of The Crown. Oh, for sure it was. It was and it's not even close in my mind. And and again, it doesn't have to do with the acting. It just frankly it has to do with the writing and the and the topics they covered. It felt you said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again: disjointed. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll have to check in in about a year, whenever they do it. Two years. I don't know what their filming schedule looks like, but um, whenever they come back with it, we'll have to do a a close Season out the six. crown episode. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for talking to me about that, Dad. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Papa Bear, what's something that you learned this week? So uh, I learned um, a couple things this week. I learned what the largest city of the in the world measured by population was, and also what the largest city in the world measured by area was. I'm guessing you can probably throw out a reasonable guess for the population one, but I'll be curious to see if you have the area one. The population one to me was fairly obvious, but uh, the area one wasn't so much. So uh, maybe throw out a guess what you think the largest popula- uh, world city is by population. This is tough. My guess would be either beijing or shanghai but i'll say beijing but it could be tokyo so so to me in in my mind it it is tokyo it is tokyo 
Um, and in my mind, that that was it because I've just known that it's around 35 million for various different reasons throughout the year. So that is number one. Shanghai is number three, and Delhi, India is number two. So those, you know, the, so the I was, I was punching, yeah, yeah, I was punching up there. I, Tokyo was You're my right. my third guess. Yeah. Yep. So 38 million people. And when I think about that, because, you know, in New York, let's say it's, let's call New York 11 million just for the sake of argument. Think about that. That's three, three plus, three and a half times as big as New York. Yep. I can't even imagine being in a city that's three times the size of New York. Now, in terms of land area, not so much. But in terms of people, when you go to New York, and you've been there a few times, obviously, when you go there, there's lots of people. If you multiply that by three times, I, I just, in my mind, I can't fathom it. Also think about who gets counted in the number for New York. Like, we spent a little bit of time on the edges of Queens and Brooklyn and all of Manhattan. But there's still right. all of Staten Island and the Bronx. Yeah, like that we didn't we don't really spend any time in or and tourists right. don't really spend any time in but that there is there's tons of people out there yeah. there's still tons of people out there and we yep. just like have this conception like oh man Manhattan is so big and so vast and they have got this 50 block park even the northern part of Manhattan we hardly spend any time at there are so right. many people and New York feels yeah. so big as a land area in addition to a population area and just to have it completely dwarfed by many cities in Asia uh, is interesting. Yeah, so New York isn't even in the top 10 countries in terms of population in the yeah, world. Cities, yeah. 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 Is it? Yeah, cities, sorry. Um, think about that. That's, that's incredible. No, I, I believe that because India and China have just massive population numbers. So if you just do a normal distribution of those people across cities, then of course the more people you have, the more high population cities you're going to have kind of deal. Right. Yep. Four out of the 10 are India and China and six out of the 10 are India, China, and Japan. Which is interesting because Japan is such a small little Island. You never think <laughs> it about is. how many people they're packing in there. They are. So then in terms of land area, what do you think, the number one, num you know, just throw out, you know, what you think the number one, two, or three uh, land area uh, cities are. Houston, Texas. Uh, not even in the top ten. Uh, I don't know. We, I, I don't we have, have we have We have mentioned it in the population discussion. Shanghai, Beijing. Beijing. Nope. Tokyo. New York. New York. New York. New York, New York, Newark. That's weird. It's like, wait, Newark? But New York, Newark area is the largest city in terms of square miles. So it's 4,669 square miles. So it's a huge landmass. And you, like I said, let's call it 11 million people. So, you know, you think about the density there and it's like, oh, okay, well, sure, it seems dense, but it's really not. So I will, um, I'm going to give you the number two and number three. Number three is Tokyo, Yokohama. So that makes sense, right? 38 million people, but their land mass is 3,178. So that's a full 1,500 uh, square miles less than New York. And they have three times the number of people. So I can't even imagine that you can't like turn around without running into somebody in, in Tokyo. It's, it's got to be insane. Yeah, and then number two, interesting. 
number two, the way the way that they describe number two is very odd to me. So I'm gonna get I'm curious to see what your take is. They say number two is Boston dash Providence. I'm like, what? So they're doing metropolitan statistical areas, not cities proper. Well, they're saying largest cities in terms of square miles, and I don't know what the the uh, details are other than they list New York and Newark, and then Boston, Providence. And I'm yeah. like, wait well, a second. Those... They're, they're doing metropolitan statistical areas, not cities. So that sure. is a... Uh, I don't know. I think that you've got bad data here because for the American ones, they're doing the area and including the suburbs of other cities. But I'm guessing for the Asian ones, they're actually doing the area of the city proper. But I could be wrong. Probably, probably so. And, and I'm, you know, my data is whatever it is, what it is. I didn't come up with it. But so yeah. So I thought that was interesting that that New York, while being the largest landmass, wasn't even in the top ten in the population, and Tokyo, being the largest population, was number three for landmass. So um, yeah, that's what I learned this week. That'd be something that we might have to do like a whole uh, episode on, frankly. We can. We can do that. Mom, make a note. <laughs> uh, I learned this week that cashews are grown from the bottom of the outside of a fruit called a cashew apple. Have you ever seen this? I, I have. No. No, not at all. So... Cashews are super expensive now, and the reason is because of of sourcing them. And they have to grow cashews individually on cashew apple trees. So it's a specific type of fruit that grows, and then at the bottom of it, there's a like a shelled seed, like like a walnut. So a walnut has a, a nut inside of a hard exterior shell. The cashew has a hard exterior shell, and it hangs from the bottom of an apple, a type of apple called a cashew apple. Okay. But you never get to eat the cashew apple because they they don't preserve well. So the workers get to eat the cashew apples, and then they crack open the cashew shell and take out the cashew nut for processing. But it's like it's very difficult and complicated harvesting process because... Other nut trees, you just take the nut off of the end of the branch and then crack it open or however you're going to prepare it. But there's an added step for cashews because you have to remove it from the fruit and then remove the shell and then process it. And it also takes a lot of water because you have to grow an entire fruit in order to get to the nut. That's crazy. I, I honestly had no idea how cashews were were grown and you describing that seems I can understand why they're very expensive because that's super labor intensive. Yeah. So everybody do yourself a favor and look up cashew apples. Cashew apples. I, I will definitely do that. And that's what I learned this week. Well done. And that's going to wrap up this episode of You'll Understand When You're Younger. Thank you for potting with me, Dad. Well, thank you, Jordy. And thanks to Ted Heineshevitz, Ted H on Spotify. Uh, for writing, performing, and allowing us to use this intro-outro song, It's Fine, or uh, You and I, from his album, It's Fine, which is available anywhere where you find it. You and I, you and I, you and I.